sing together. Praise the Lord. Sing as one. Let me pray before we go to our sermon this morning. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for the talent that you've given these who are able to sing before us and lead us in song. Thank you for the work that they put in in order to be able to do this and that we can join together. Lord, thank you for these faithful missionaries that we prayed for, the way that they have given their lives over in, in that certain way, to travel, to work for you, to do things because of you. And Father, we pray that, again, that you would help them, take care of them, protect them, and make their work very, very fruitful. And now, Lord, we pray as we look into your word that you would help us to understand it in a deeper way so we can serve you better and then, Lord, know you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, we have been in the book of Acts taking notice of how God works his church, how he is working in his church. And in the book of Acts, a matter arises that starts some controversy in the young church of Jesus Christ. But it isn't controversy that started from the outside like we've seen before with people you know, persecuting, especially the, the Jewish authorities. This is a controversy that starts within the church. And the controversy has to do with whether or not someone is going to stand in God's way. And by standing in God's way, I mean standing in opposition to God's way. Am I going to try to stop God from doing something he plans to do or he knows is best? Now that probably sounds a bit strange that someone in the church could even possibly have the thought that they could stop God from doing something that he plans to do. That Sounds like it couldn't even be possible. But the issue being referred to here in our passage this morning was a very explosive issue in the early church. And it is a very crucial issue for the church in our day, too. It comes in different forms. But it comes in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. And in chapter 11, it deals with the matter that took place in the chapter before, but <clears throat> in chapter 10, Peter was told to go to the house of Cornelius. He was staying in, in, with Simon the Tanner in um, Joppa. <laughs> uh, he was staying with him, and he was spreading the gospel, but then he had this vision, and God told him to go to Cornelius over in Caesarea. And so God sent him there to share the gospel of forgiveness in Christ with this prominent Roman soldier who was this very, you know, high-ranking person in the army. But he was a, a dedicated believer in God, prayed daily, gave alms. And the Jewish people where he was at, they really appreciated him. So when he needed help, they... They wanted them to help him. And <clears throat> so Peter is told to go and teach him the true way to salvation through Christ. And we would all say to that, hey, 
great, you know, preach the gospel message. But something happened when Peter and his six companions from Joppa went to Caesarea to Cornelius' house. Something very controversial. You may ask, what was it? And what happened is that Peter and his six Jewish friends went inside Cornelius' house. But that isn't all. Not only did they go inside his house, they even ate food with these men. You're still not impressed, are you? <clears throat> but I want to look at chapter 11 of the book of Acts in the first three verses, and we'll, we'll see what's going on here. In chapter 11, first three verses, this is, you know, on into the book of Acts where the people have been scattered because of the persecution, the, the killing of Stephen. And so people are spreading out and they're reaching different cities because of the persecution. They had to leave their home. And it says here, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, they had all spread out, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. When he, when he visited back in Jerusalem, they heard what he did back in Caesarea and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. So these believers in Judea heard that these Gentiles in Caesarea had turned to Jesus Christ. And that wasn't the problem. That was good. The problem was when the Christians went there, they entered into their home and ate with them. You know, the Jews had these strict dietary laws that they had followed for centuries. And they were laws that they were supposed to follow all the time. All through their history. They couldn't just sit down and eat anything that was put before them. They had to make sure that it would follow the dietary laws of Moses. So now as we travel through the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ, we're still in its young stage, we run into some issues that can cause major trouble for the church, the early church. You know, God's people, of course, were the Jews, the chosen people. They had Jewish laws to follow, not only dietary laws, but they had, <clears throat> throughout their history, they were not to live according to the lifestyle of the nations. They were not to worship the gods of the nations. They were not to intermarry with the people of the nations. God formed that Jewish nation out of one man, out of Abraham. He started it from scratch, you might say, calling Abraham out of his country, taking him to another country he had never seen before in order so he could raise up a nation that could show the world who God was. And but the nations, because the nations had all moved away from God and become evil, he was going to clear out that land, that promised land. And everybody had become wicked. And so he wanted to clear it out, and he was going to make Israel, the new, the new nation, a light on the hill so that people could see the true God and what a difference it made when people followed God. 
And that is why when God brought Israel to the promised land, he ordered them to conquer all the peoples. And all the peoples within a certain region, they were supposed to just completely, you know, get rid of them, kill them all. If they were further away, they didn't have to. So now when Peter and these six Jews enter the house of Cornelius, some of the more strict Jews who, were, who turned to Christ, they were going to call them to account because they had gone into a Gentile's house and ate with them. And who knows? They could have defiled themselves with the wrong kind of food. And so <clears throat> Peter... Being confronted, he says he's going to tell the whole story. So I want you to look with me in chapter 11, but he's going to be talking about what happened in chapter 10. 4 through 10. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance, and, I saw a, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. <clears throat> Pretty incredible. Peter is being told to eat food that was unlawful for Jews to eat for centuries. And Peter says that God told him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. And you know, it wasn't just something that just appeared and left. It was three times. So he knew there was something going on. He knew God was serious here and it really happened. He, he, it got past the point where he says, am I dreaming this? He was dreaming it, wasn't he? But it was a dream that God was giving him. And you know, as we read about this last week in chapter 10, when it was actually happening in the story, after it happened, Peter was still trying to figure out, well, what did that mean? Don't call impure what I have made clean. He wants me to eat these unclean animals? What on earth? Well, God is doing something very special here, isn't he? He has a plan that he is working out. And it, in the end, it's all going to move toward Christ's return when he comes back to claim his earth and establish his eternal kingdom on the renewed earth. <clears throat> And the Bible gives us a lot of, excuse me, the Bible gives us a lot of information 
you know, as we're on our Christian journey, gives us a lot of information about God and the Christian life and that sort of thing, but there's still so much that we don't know. And it seems to me that a major element of what we don't know is the timing. And I always remember the scene that uh, when Jesus was getting ready to ascend to heaven, he gathered his disciples. He was with them for so many days before he ascended up to heaven. He was telling his disciples he was going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And the Holy Spirit would baptize them. And then they asked, because they heard of the Spirit baptism, they asked, well, okay, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you know, we know now that it absolutely wasn't the time he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It, was, it wasn't even close to the time he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. But when they asked, Jesus didn't say no. He said, it isn't for you to know the times and the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. So even though he could have said, no, nah, it's a long way off, or he, he, didn't even, he didn't even give him a hint of when it was coming. But then he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So that was the important point. When the Holy Spirit comes, you have a job to do. Not, when's the kingdom coming? So, in in all of this, God the Father is the lead commander. He's commandeering this whole process. He determines when things happen. He determines the major events. And this here is a major event. When he said, don't call things impure, that I have made clean. There's a great big change coming out. He's also doing something much bigger. You know, in this, I see one very important point. There's lots of important points, but one thing I see is that now, you know, if he's moving on from those dietary laws, it's kind of showing you that the essence of salvation isn't in those dietary laws. And I think it hits at legalism. What is it truly that determines our Christianity and our Christian devotion? And sometimes we do things that other people don't do, and they do things we don't do, and sometimes we look at them, we look down upon them. But I think this right here is showing us that... We, we hold on to the essence, and we fellowship in the essence. We don't always judge others for not doing the same way. But I want you to look at verses 11 through 18 here. <clears throat> Peter's still telling a story. He says, Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying, because Cornelius had sent men Well, God told Cornelius to send men to find Peter and bring him back. And so here's Peter retelling that. Three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. 
These six brothers also went with me. People that went with Peter too, Caesarea. And we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is also called, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized you with water, or baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this is a major step forward in God's plan. Repentance is now open to the Gentiles who weren't the chosen children of God. That wall of separation has now been torn down. And it's going to take a lot of refiguring from the Jewish point of view. And God chose the exact timing, didn't he? I mean, all of this, everything happened at just an exact time. And it was God's timing. The same thing with Stephen's death. The same thing with the persecution that, that you know, uh, catapulted everyone out to all these different cities and spread the gospel. No one knew when these things were going to happen. No one knew about this, that it was going to happen. And so God is commandeering things, and we have to trust him. There's a lot of things we do know, but there are big things we don't know. God has it all planned out, though. And that's <clears throat> what I've been thinking of recently because of our situation in our country. You know, when we read the Bible, we know that God has everything in control. Down here, it doesn't seem like it sometimes, but he does. And trouble is here because of sin, but God has the big picture under control. And it's going to turn out good for all who have faith in Christ. But today, so many in our country, and even in the West, so many are now not wanting to acknowledge God. They don't want to think that there's this, you know, ruler up in the sky. And it seems to me, more and more people we hear of are making names for themselves by teaching against the Bible. And they teach against the Christian faith. And they teach against the beliefs of the church. They mock them. And they write books. They're, they're highly educated people. And they hold conferences all around our nation and even in other nations. <clears throat> they scoff at us who hold the word of God as true. And some of these people are becoming very wealthy and very, very well known, gaining numbers of followers. But you know, when I look at our nation, and as we move on, and even nations in the West that were known for their Christian influence, that were known for spreading the gospel, building hospitals and universities, you know, in the name of Christ. <clears throat> 
When I look at this and all this influence going on against God, I see us, I see our morals just tanking. You know, in a big picture. I see us moving more towards corruption, violence, rampant immorality, disrespect, all on the rise. And at the same time, we're moving away from God as a nation. So it becomes all the more important that we stand true with God. But you know what? Even in all of this, you know, God is never the author of sin. He, he, so we don't ever accuse him. <clears throat> but in all of this, he's carrying out his plan, which will eventually end up with Christ's return and his eternal kingdom. God allows mankind to make his own choices. And then one day, we all will pay for our choices. And if we choose Christ, that'll be a good payment. But now I want to sh you see where this move of God led as salvation was opened to the Gentiles. It's in verses 19 through 24. He says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So they're moving north towards Syria. And that area, Cyprus is an island off, uh, off to the west. And these, these cities are major cities. They're moving up there and they're spreading the word of God, but they're just going to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, non-Jews, telling them the good news about Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. <clears throat> we know Barnabas from earlier times, this, this great encourager. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. <clears throat> so now we see the gospel message continue to spread. Still, from the persecution of Stephen, from the, from the murder of Stephen, as, as people just scattered, it said. And everywhere they went, they were making disciples. They were spreading the gospel message in unbelievable numbers. And so even in that, you know, who would ever want Stephen to die? But God set it up, and he allowed them to kill him. He didn't, he didn't, ordain, uh, he didn't cause it. It was, it was evil. But God used it. And in his death, he brought, Stephen brought glory to God through his bravery and faithfulness. And even as we go on, more and more people are coming to know the Lord because of Stephen's death. His bold speech in front of the Sanhedrin, where they finally just rushed upon him, took him out and stoned him. And now it's, it's producing all these Christians outside of Jerusalem. And do you see what the early church does when new people come to the Lord? 
They get someone there to help these new believers, and they get Barnabas. Barnabas is the man of the hour at this point. And do you see what his main encouragement was, his message to these new believers? He says, he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And I think that is maybe the most important thing when people come to Christ. Because so many times they come to Christ out of situations where people are trying to pull them back or they're scared or they have to face something, some, something. Of course, in other countries, there'll be death threats and all of that. But Barnabas is there to try to tell them, to encourage them to stay with the Lord and, and stay true to him with all their hearts. He's saying, dig into your faith. The word of God, fellowship with believers. And that's so important. You know, when you come to Christ out of, you know, a situation that's not real Christian, if you just stay with what you're doing all the time, you just slide right back. But if you come to Christ and you're with good people, and that's what was my situation, I I was with good people, and that made all the difference in the world. And they really took care of me as I became a Christian. It's so important for a new believer. I think we ought to be Barnabases. We ought to watch out for people. I think when people come to the Lord, sometimes they're real excited, but we have to watch out for them, I think. Because Satan wants to attack them right at the beginning of their Christian lives. And he wants to throw, you know, wrenches in the works. He wants to throw banana peels in their, on their pathway. And some people come out of a very rough background. And it could be family. It could be work. Whatever. <clears throat> now, I know the stories of some of you in here who have been working with new believers. And I think that's the greatest thing in the world. And you help them as they're kind of stumbling. And they helped me when I was stumbling. And so it's so good. Many times I think we think when somebody comes to the Lord, we're we're real happy. But I don't know if we understand. I don't know if we are thinking about we got to stay with them and, and keep them going forward. I think... That is a major responsibility to us, so we can be Barnabases. And so now look what Barnabas does. He's already been encouraging them to stay true to the Lord with all their hearts. But look what he does as he continues on. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul was sent there because they were wanting to kill him. And so they sent him there to save his life. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, where the Gentiles were getting saved. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, 
stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They, this they did, sending their gift to, to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. <clears throat> so, in this, now we have the Gentile churches, those who are just coming to faith in Christ, joining the Christian church, and they're helping the Jewish churches. Do you see the hand of God in that? So now we have these Gentile churches where the Jews were kind of like skeptical of them, you know, just by nature, because they were always separate from them. They were always so different than them. But now we have those Gentile churches becoming Christians and sending aid to the Jewish churches. And you can see the hand of God in that. It creates a bond between former enemies. So as they're all getting used to including each other in the church of Jesus Christ, there's this major move, a show of love from one to the other. Because we're all one in Christ, aren't we? And really, that is the strongest bond we can have, isn't it? And it is eternal. <clears throat> and one major, major thing here that we, that we mention is when they dropped the dietary laws that brought Jews and Gentiles together. And it showed them what was really, really important. And Cornelius, you know, was praying daily. He was a devout man. Everybody knew him as very, very devoted to God, giving alms. But he still had to come to know Christ. And that's why God sent Peter there. And then in that episode, in that, you know, that happened, that instance, <clears throat> they realized we could, we could share food with each other. <laughs> and that wasn't the main idea. That wasn't the main uh, thing between them. It was, it was faith in Christ. And so I think that's a lesson for us too. <clears throat> because... And I'll, I'll end with this. When uh, I became a Christian, I was just more of a mindset of looking down on others. And so I was kind of put into this legalistic group. And I learned a lot of legalism, you know, about music, whatever, things that shouldn't, you know, really enter into it. <clears throat> And so it was so easy for me to look down upon other Christians and go, tisk tisk. If only they knew. And that was my mindset <clears throat> until I started meeting other people who were outside of that legalism, and they were starting to influence me. And then I started realizing, just like you know, the, the circumcised Jews realized, that it wasn't eating with people, it wasn't eating a certain kind of food, it was your faith in Christ that brought you together. And so <clears throat> that was so great for me to learn. You know, Laura and I got to know each other right away, and we would go to a house, and I would see, and you know, we had no money, and 
so we didn't have anything in our house. <laughs> but uh, we would go to a house, and there would be a fireplace and these gold-plated utensils there that were, they were just for show. And I would think, spending your money on something like that. <laughs> and <clears throat> so, you know, as I came out of that and started just relaxing on what wasn't essential, um, that changed my whole life and made people want to be around me ever more. <laughs> so, important step in the Christian church and in, in the Christian history where they rejoiced that these people now were given repentance in God. <laughs>